Jesus. Demons tremble at the sound of that name. Say, something about that name Master Savior Jesus like a fragrance after the rain Jesus 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 Let all heaven and earth proclaim Kings and kingdoms, they will all pass away. How many of you know? But there's something <laughs> about that name. Father, we bless you today. and We thank you for your word. We pray as your word goes forth that it will find fertile ground in the hearts and minds of your people, that we would leave here determined today to not just be hearers of your word, but be doers as well. We love you and we ask all of these blessings, Lord, that your word will find fertile ground in our hearts and minds. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the more humbling truths that I have learned over my ministerial career is the idea that more theology is taught by song than is taught and remembered by sermon. Uh, one of the reasons the great hymns of the church are so powerful and we must do our best to resurrect those hymns in our own lives is because those great hymns of the church were theologically dense. They were filled with theological content. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilt and stain. Those songs communicated the gospel story. They, they communicated to a functionally illiterate society 
who could not read the truths of the word of God, the truths of the Reformation, the truths of the scriptures in musical form. But I also learned that powerful tunes and melodies will not only teach theological truths, they will also teach theological falsehoods. Some of our favorite songs that we know and love are nowhere to be found in the scriptures. <laughs> Got a story to tell you. Want to hear it? Here it goes. Play the first song. See if y'all remember this one. Oh, yeah, y'all remember it. Come on and sing it. On the rough side. Yeah, buddy. The That's Black Folk National Anthem. Come on. that we are told to be mountain climbers. As a matter of fact, the Bible says we are not to be mountain climbers. We are supposed to be mountain movers. Come on. Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. He said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. We're supposed to be telling mountains to move. God hasn't called us to be alpine hikers, climbing up one mountain down the other mountain. Oh, oh here's, here's another one. And, and, you know, some stuff sounds so spiritual. It sounds so good. We think it must be in the Bible. And please don't let one or two folk in a concert say the phrase, oh, my God, it's got to be anointed from God. Here's another one. Now I want you to listen to music because it's so serious and solemn. Listen to it. I'd like to speak to someone who may be going through some difficulties situations and circumstances that you feel you can't handle. I want to tell you this. You can praise your way 
through that situation. You can praise your way out of that situation. And if you're going through and if you're despondent, we've come to encourage you today and tell you, please don't lose your praise. Listen to this. When praise is Come on, how many of you heard that? When praises go up, blessings come down. Blessings come down. Yes, sir. When praises go up, blessings come down. Hallelujah. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. It ain't in the Bible. No, no, no. It's not even inferred in the Bible. There is nowhere in Scripture where you see even a like phrase where praises go up, blessings come down. Blessings come on the other side of obedience. Miracles show up on the other side of obedience. You can't be a raggedy living Christian, a trifling saint, and they're going to come in here and think you're going to praise some blessings down. Uh, another popular song, uh, Erica Campbell, Love Erica. But she got this little song talking about, I need just a little more Jesus. <laughs> I need just a little more Jesus. No, you don't need no little more Jesus. You got all the Jesus you need. Problem is Jesus needs more of you. But, but there's one classic. Ooh, there's one classic. We love, yeah, y'all know this. I, I don't even need any music to help me with this one. All y'all know this one. This joy I have, the world didn't give it to me. Whoa. Come on, this joy I have. Come on now. The world didn't give it to me. Whoa, this joy I have, the world didn't give it to me. The world didn't give it. It's a lie. It's a lie. Don't you run around here talking about the world can't take it away. Oh, no, it's true the world didn't give it, but don't you fool yourself that the world can't take it away. The world will rob you of your joy, and what's even worse is when you give away your joy. Today, I want to conclude this little mini-series of messages that we started entitled Praying to Become Spiritually Restored to God. Praying to Become Spiritually Restored to God. Verse 12 in particular, David in Psalm 51 prays, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Now, you will recall, David writes this 51st division of Psalms on the heels of being confronted by Nathan because of his secret sin with Bathsheba. David commits this sin in private, and while God forgives him for the sin, David still has to live with the consequences of his sin. 
The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 5, David had done what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and had obeyed the Lord's commands throughout his life except in the affair concerning Uriah the Hittite. It's in love that Nathan confronts David and David confesses his sin. More importantly to God than to Nathan who confronted him. How do you respond when you realize your joy in the Lord is gone? As a matter of fact, I'll go so far as to say one of the problems we have in the church is we have so many people trying to be happy that they have neglected their joy. And we're trying to get a group of joyless saints to give God praise and worship because you fail to realize that joy has nothing to do with happiness. Now, in the first part of this message, we focused on the idea that you need to ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins. In part one of this little mini-series, we said you have to ask the Lord to forgive you of your Sins that you must acknowledge your sin if you're going to overcome your sin. And in verse 4 of Psalm 51, you will see David saying, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David acknowledges that his ultimate sin is against God. That regardless of what we do to each other, the only reason it is considered a sin between each of us is because God has laid out in his law that it is a sin against him. Whenever we live below where God wants us to live, we are sinning before the Lord. In part two, we shared you need to pray and ask the Lord to purge you and help you forsake your sin. That you really can't pray and ask God to give you anything until you are willing to get rid of what's standing between you and God. It's almost like trying to put on new clothes before you took off your old clothes. He said, you got to take off that old stuff and that foul stuff before you can put on the blessings that God has for your life. And in verse 5, you will see David saying, I was what? brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He admits to suffering from the congenital depravity that plagues all humanity. David says, I was born in sin and shaped in iniquity, and his words are meant to provide an explanation for his sin, not an excuse for his sin. You know, sometimes we do stuff and we say, well, the devil made me do it. Right, so we're going to blame the devil. Or, you know, that's just my nature. And David says that may explain it, but that doesn't excuse it. That's why for you and for me, when we were born wrong the first time, we have to be born again. So we can get it right the second time. And I told you, secondly, you need to pray and ask the Lord to renew your spirit. David says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Verse 10, and renew a right spirit within me. The psalmist asked for more than just the absence of stress and anxiety. He says, Lord, I need you to renew the right spirit within me. 
And it's important for us to understand that David understands. He can't get right on the outside until God makes some changes on the inside. Which leads us to our third part of this message. Here's the one and only point for you today. Number one, you need to pray and ask the Lord to restore the joy of his salvation in your life. You need to ask the Lord to restore the joy of his salvation in your life. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing presence. Now, when David speaks about casting being cast away from the presence of the Lord, we have to understand he is speaking from a reality in the Old Testament that does not exist with those of us who know Jesus Christ. To be cast away from the Lord is to be an alien, to be not just out of fellowship but out of relationship with God. But the Bible says that since we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, now we do not or we are not in danger of losing our relationship, but we can have damaged our fellowship with God. And the reason we don't lose that relationship is because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Go down to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now what God wants us to understand is that while the spirit of God lives in all of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our savior, we do have the opportunity to contravene, to disregard, and to violate his presence in us. That's what the text means in Ephesians 4.30 when it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Because all of us have the opportunity and the potential to grieve the Spirit, to vex the Spirit, to live as if the Spirit of God has no control over our lives. And so David says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. That word for restore means to bring again, to bring back, to recover, to refresh. Uh, It's this sense of returning to a former state. David says, Lord, when I look back over my life, I can see the presence of joy in my life in the past. But now I know the joy that I had is just that, joy that I had. So he says, Lord, I need you to restore my joy. Now, here's what's interesting. The need for renewal, restoration, and a return to God's favor is an ongoing struggle. In other words, we have to perpetually and continually pray for the restoration of the joy of the Lord in our lives. And it's interesting what David asked to be restored, right? He's not asking God to restore cars, cash, 
commodities or creature comforts. He's not asking God to give him stuff. David says what's going on on the outside is really of little consequence. God, I need you to restore what's happening on the inside, what's missing on the inside. So he says, restore my joy. Restore my joy. Now, what's interesting about this word joy, the word joy there uh, can be translated gladness, can be translated mirth, can be translated rejoicing. But it's interesting in that joy is always speaking to an attitude that's rooted in our relationship with God. Joy is never tied to what's happening. It's always tied to a relationship. Most of us equate joy and happiness. We use those terms synonymously. We use those terms interchangeably. When the truth of the matter is, and you've heard me say this before, happiness is an incident that is based on what's happening. And when nothing good is happening, we don't have happiness, which is why many people try to find happiness, even if it's with other sad people, during happy hours. And God says, no, joy is not rooted in what's happening around you. As a matter of fact, joy is independent of what's happening around you. It's rooted in your relationship with the Lord. You don't believe me. It's right here in verse 12. Look at what it says. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Now, can I tell you how we misquote this verse? And the misquoting of the verse creates a poor theological outlook in terms of joy. We say, Lord, restore the joy of my salvation. And the Lord said, it's not your salvation I'm trying to restore. It's the joy in my salvation. Now you say, well, what's the difference between my salvation and his salvation? Your salvation is what you work for. His salvation is what he provides. And his provision is independent of predicaments, pain, problems, trials, and tribulations that you go through. What God provides is independent of anything around you. David says, Lord, restore the joy of your salvation. That word for salvation means liberty, deliverance, prosperity. Restore the joy of your salvation. Watch this. God can provide and God has provided beyond my circumstances or my situation. Listen to me carefully. Those of you who have been and are saved, those of you who have given your life to Jesus Christ, the provision of God's salvation didn't come when you were at your best. It likely came when you were at your worst. And God didn't need ideal situation to come and save you. As a matter of fact, God sent his son to die and shed his blood on a cross, not when we were at our best, but when we were at our worst. And his power is so great in his blood 
that he found us when we were at our worst and helped us to become the best we can be. And you may look at me now and think, boy, you got a long way to go, but you don't know how far I've come. Come on, look at somebody and tell them, you don't know how far I've come. Whatever you think about me, you don't know how far I've come. And so here's what David says. David says, his salvation, what the Lord provides, what the Lord gave, is to be the root, the source, and the substance of your joy. That's the root of your joy. The salvation that God gives. So how can my joy be restored? See, you can't try to restore your joy the same way you try to create happiness because it doesn't work. And you can't praise your way to joy. Listen carefully. Praise and singing should be an expression of your joy. But it does not create joy. That should be the manifestation of your joy. Like when I am reminded of who I am in Jesus Christ, when I am reminded of whose I am, when I am reminded that he paid a price for my sins, just thinking about what God has done for me, when I couldn't do it for myself, should result in some joy that has to be expressed in a way that others can see my testimony to God's goodness in my life. And and one of the sad things, to be honest with you, is some of us have moved far enough away from that salvation moment that we have forgotten the joy that comes in his salvation. So now we're busy in church and focus up on the stage working hard trying to get you to give God praise and glory and worship. And they playing Simon Says, stand up, sit down, touch your neighbor, spin around three times, jump up in the air and grab your blessing and pull it down. Instead of you coming, with joy on your heart because you are reminded of his salvation and how far God has brought you. And many times this joy is forfeited because of our attitude and our actions. So when we sing that song, this joy I have, the world didn't give it, that's true. But when we add on top of that, the world can't take it away. That's a lie. Because the devil wants to rob you of your joy. He wants to come and get you focused so much on what you're going through that you forget what God has done for you. And listen, and when you remember what God has done for you and you remember that God is not through with you yet, Now you can go pick up a little help in Philippians chapter 1 around that 6th verse where Paul says, he who has begun 
a good work in you. In other words, the God that saved me back then is not finished with me yet. He's still working on me. He's still molding me. He's still shaping me. He's still helping me to become. And when he gets through with me, I wish I had a witness in here somewhere. I shall come forth as pure gold. God says joy is to be a strength to his people. Look at Isaiah 12, beginning at verse 3. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Don't miss the imagery. Don't miss the picture. Water is a priceless commodity in dry and arid land. And one of the things you want if you live in that kind of uh, zone is access to water. You want a well, but there's nothing worse than having a well and not having a bucket to draw water from it. He says joy becomes the bucket from which you can draw water out of the well of salvation. In other words, no matter where I am in life, listen to me carefully, sickness, despair, depression, all of those things and more take root when I take my eyes off of what God has done for me and what God is doing for me and focus on what I'm going through. I get in trouble every time I look at my problems and focus on how big and how insurmountable my problems are. But when I focus on how big and awesome my God is. Come on, somebody help me. That, that's where my joy is. Not when I look at who's against me, but when I focus on who's with me. That's where I get my joy. When I focus on the fact that no weapon formed against me shall prosper, that's where my joy comes from. That with man it might be impossible, but with God all things are possible. That's where my joy comes from. When I think about that he who has begun a good work will bring it to pass, that's where my joy comes from. Because it's not about me and what other people are doing. It's about God what he has done, and what he is doing. Joy is rooted in God's person, God's power, independent of whatever you go through in life. David prays and asks the Lord to restore his joy. And can I tell you something today? When you pray and ask God to restore your joy, here's in essence what you're saying to God. God, remind me. Remind me of what you have done. Remind me of what you're doing based on what you have done. And God, remind me of what you will do based on what you are doing, based on what you have done. Remind me, God, to take my focus off of the situations and circumstances around me and to focus on you because you are the anchor for my soul. He says, remind me. Take me back. Take me back to that place in life where all I had was you. And I wasn't worrying about problems. I was trusting in you. Take me back when I, 
I, I could think back on a time when I knew you were on my side. And if you were for me, you was more than the world against me. Take me back and remind me that none of that has changed. And the only thing that has changed is my perspective of life. Look at Nehemiah 8.10. And Nehemiah continued to go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Is it any wonder the devil wants to rob you of your joy? Because he knows the joy of the Lord is your strength, which means if you have no joy, you have no strength. Obeying the word of God will bring you joy. Look at Psalm 19, verse 8. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Psalm 27, verse 6. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. Verse 2, Psalm 32, yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. What, what joy when you know your record has been cleared, when you know the price has been paid. My joy is the result of me focusing more on God and less on me. Focusing on what he has done instead of what my enemies are doing. I find assurance and I find a joy that is independent of circumstances and situations. I've told you in the past one of my favorite shows is American Restoration. Rick Dale specializes in restoring items to their former glory. And one episode in particular got me. It was one segment of an episode where a young man came. He had a bicycle. And this was a bicycle that his father had given him, brand new, when he was 11 years old. He is now a grown man, but he held on to that bicycle. He and his father were supposed to restore the bicycle together but his father died, but he decided to get the work done anyway. Check it out. The Hopalon Cassidy bike has been a lot of fun since we found all the parts for this project. We painted it up, pinstriped it, and now we're just doing some final touches before the customer comes and picks it up. Yeah, the client's gonna be here any minute. You got a little room on that, so you can go ahead and make that tight. This bike has to be perfect. If our customer isn't totally blown away, I haven't done my job. Hey, James, how's it going? All right, how you doing? Good, how are you? Fine. You excited for the bike? Yeah. My dad loves revealing items to customers in crazy ways. So I agreed to meet James out front so he wouldn't look around and blow the surprise. I can't wait to see it. 
My dad got this bicycle when I was 11 years old, and we were planning on restoring it then and never got around to finishing it. It's around here somewhere. Yeah? I think. <laughs> oh, here oh, he comes. Goodness. That looks like a brand new bike. Well, it pretty much is. My dad would love to see this bike like this. Yeah, I bet. That brings back a lot of good memories, huh? Yeah. Is it the way you remembered it? It, it didn't look this good. Never? No. no. Looks like it just came out of the store. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of work in that, let me tell you. Tell me what you did on this. What didn't we do? Um, the Hopalong bike was a total flashy, all deluxe bike, and that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to keep its all its flash. I mean, this has chrome triple plated. The yeah. seat, this is horse. Yeah. Um, in fact, if you look over there at my horse, it's missing a little patch on its ass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> These are all original. We chrome plated it. We hand painted all that inside there, red, and left the roll fast, you know, all yeah. in chrome blanket came. The bike came out excellent. It looked terrible when I first brought it here. Now it looks awesome. It looks. Totally cool. So how much did it cost? All right, well, the restoration was um, was the 2,500 to do the whole thing, okay? In parts, you got another $500, so we're right at three grand to put the bike together, just like this. The value on this right now is uh, right around $6,000. <laughs> wow. So you wanna ride it? Yeah. What we do is extremely hard, but when you see a guy climb on his bike that him and his late father were supposed to put together, it makes it totally worth it. Now, I don't know about you. I, I heard some of y'all gasp when he said $3,000, and then y'all really ga gasped when he said it was worth 6000 right? Some of y'all gonna go home and look for your old bikes, huh? Yeah. But, but, but here's the point. Rick specializes in taking what was old and tattered and restoring it to its former glory. And somebody in here, no matter how beat up your spirit may be, no matter how down you may be, I want you to know God has the power to restore your spirit to restore your soul. And really your prayer needs to be, Lord, take me back. Take me back. I, I have moved down the road so far, I forgot the simple joy of knowing that I'm saved by grace. Take me back, Lord, because I have forgotten that you are the source of my joy. That my joy is not in stuff. My joy is not in the accumulation of things, that my joy is always rooted in my relationship in you. That's where my joy is. Father, we thank you and we bless you for this day. God, somebody today who even in hearing the subject matter may have been waiting for something emotionally to hit them, may have been looking for some extraordinary praise, some emotional enthusiasm. God, help us to understand that our joy is not rooted in that, that our joy is rooted in knowing 
who you are and whose we are is rooted in knowing we've been saved by grace and that our eternal destiny is secure in you. That's our joy. And God help us to experience that restoration of our joy. David had been so beat up, Lord, because of his sins and because of his circumstances, because of the consequences that resulted from his sin that he had forgotten what it felt like to focus on his relationship with you. God, help us to refocus on that powerful relationship that eternity cannot erase and that time cannot destroy. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.